Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. The Jamestown Department of Development has been overseeing a wide variety of projects thanks to millions of dollars in American Rescue Plan funds coming into the department. We speak with Director Crystal Surdick to learn more. We welcome to the WRFA Studios, Jamestown's Director of Development, Crystal Surdick. So good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so this is one of those conversations where I've been looking at, with covering City Council and covering Jura and JLDC, there is a lot that has been going on in just mm-hmm. the last year, or, mm-hmm. well, two years really since I've been here. And I thought it was always good to get caught up on what is happening because I think it's hard for me to wrap my arms around everything. So mm-hmm. I think the community probably could always, I mean, I always say the community can use a reminder and also be informed because there are things that you're doing that people can take advantage of. Mm-hmm. And I thought before we get into some of the meat, one of the things that is happening very currently that's going to come before city council next week is the annual action plan for monies Mm -hmm. that you get from u.s housing and urban development Mm -hmm. yes so um we have our draft uh annual action plan available online for uh comment that ends on um actually monday uh and then we have our uh public hearing monday evening just before the council voting session um, and for anyone who doesn't recall what the annual action plan is and where that stems from, uh, because we are an entitlement community, we receive an annual allocation from HUD uh, for what's called Home uh, Investment Partnerships Funding, which is for homeowner-occupied housing rehab projects. And then there are a few other things that we can do with that. And then we also receive an allocation, which is separate from home, uh, for community development block grant funds. So every five years, we are tasked with putting together a five-year consolidated plan. And that informs our subsequent annual action plans for those years in between consolidated plans. So we are in annual, the tail end of annual action planning now. Uh, we did some community engagement. And again, our public hearing is Monday evening just before the council meeting. And then you mentioned, yeah, there's the, so there's a community development grant block, uh, block grant funds, which mm-hmm. I think we hear about those quite a bit because that is a larger mm-hmm. fund of money. I, I forget, mm-hmm. how do you know how much you're getting in that this year? Um, it's roughly 1. Oh, 1.4 million, I believe. Um, it fluctuates typically between 1.2 and 1.5. And then home is usually somewhere between roughly 360 to a little over 400,000. We did see a, a few years ago. So and I'm not entirely sure how HUD makes those calculations, but they tell us each year, you know, it's based on a number of, of different criteria, uh, population being one of them, how much we're going to receive. And then uh, it's up to us to determine how we're going to spend those funds. Mm-hmm. And 
I kind of just like, not that I don't want to gloss over what, mm-hmm. you know, the annual action plan is, but I feel like those monies in some ways inform other programs mm-hmm. that you're doing. And you're doing a lot of programs in Department mm-hmm. of Development right now, partially because of, uh, of as an entitlement community, the city of Jamestown receiving that $28 million mm-hmm. in American Rescue Plan Act funds, which a lot of them have been allocated to economic development, which includes mm-hmm. housing issues and concerns. Mm-hmm. And right now, I know we're in an application period mm-hmm. for some of those programs. Mm-hmm. And so I, we might as well start with that first. Sure. So yeah. the, that's the, the yeah, it's an exciting program, the mini grant for mm-hmm. homeowners. Yep. So it's a, a home uh, repair mini grants. And yes, it, it is for homeowner you have to, you know, occupy your home that you're applying for. It's a maximum grant of up to $2,500. And there is a 10% homeowner um, matching requirement. However, if you do have a financial hardship, you can let us know that. We will review your application and consider um, giving you a waiver for that 10%. There's a number of different things that you can do with it. Really, there's there's not necessarily a limitation, just knowing that the grant is a maximum of $2,500. So that period, that grant period is open, started yesterday and remains open through the 30th. It is a first come, first serve. Uh, we only have enough funding for 200 grantees at that $2,500 maximum. So there could be a few more that can get in there depending on you know, the, the requested amounts that come in. But as we are receiving them, we are dating them and stamping them, you know, time stamping them to make sure that we've got everything in order. And obviously, it, it has to be qualified. So we review every application that comes in and just make sure that uh, we have everything that we need for that application in order for it to, to be qualified. And then the application period ends June 30th. Mm-hmm. Or is it after that point that you'll start saying, okay, these, this is yes. who is receiving? So you're not releasing yeah. funds before June 30th. Correct. We will not, uh, we actually are not even going to review them until the application period closes. So it'll probably take us a good week to get through, depending on how many we receive. But our intention is to get through them as quickly as possible so we can start dispersing those funds. From From a work that people can get funding for like say someone has an issue where maybe a stove kitchen stove appliance has gone can the money be used toward a replacement of a, an appliance in the house or um that's a great question uh it's really geared toward more uh home repair but you know what what the needs are are probably beyond anything that we could have anticipated we have some limitations but uh we really tried not to prescribe it too much. So I would say, I would encourage people, if that's what the need is, put that down, send that in on your application, and we certainly will consider it. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I remember in the housing committee, you had mentioned that, you know, this is also going to include junk and debris. So mm-hmm. this is, there is a wide mm-hmm. variety of projects that could be done, whether it's someone painting their house or yep. roofing, getting a roof on the house, which we know that's been, was a lot of people mm-hmm. took part in the roofing program, yes. which was one of the other many programs that you're offering so, yes. or had offered, I should say. Yeah. 130 roofs uh, wow. in the works. Um, so we've gotten through quite a few of those, but yeah, you'd be surprised at how long it takes to get one roof onto a property in that process. Right. So, and like I said, this was just one program. It's, I think this program was allocated $500,000? Correct. Yeah. Yep. So, and there are other 
I, if we're staying just within housing, sure. There, <clears throat> so you had the the roof and sewer lateral program mm-hmm. that was last year that went out, right? Right. Yep. And that one is uh, expended. All of the grantees have been notified, and again, those those uh, projects are all in process right now. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other things that you have going on? Like I said, there's been. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember the exact number that was allocated by city council for was it 10 million for economic development or was that just a number i think was out there initially but yeah. it's changed yeah so that was um initially when we were just kind of putting the plan together we had to determine which sort of category the funding would be focused on so we had proposed 10 million for economic development uh, it's somewhere more in the range of 7.5 and you know, housing and neighborhood stabilization is is more in the range of 7.5. I don't have the the final like spreadsheet in front of me right now, but it's you know it tried to really look at and strategize and spread uh, those dollars across the board to benefit as many people as possible and have the the biggest the biggest impact to people's direct lives, but also looking at when we're looking at those economic development programs. Right, we're talking about people who are employees, workforce development, retaining staffing. You know, those are all the things that keep people in their homes. So, you know, just sort of really trying to strategize in a way that, again, just benefits the most people across the board mm-hmm. in the city as we can. Right. And with how some of the funding was split up, you had most of, I, I seem to know that most mm-hmm. of the the business-related um, economic development monies went through Jamestown Local Development mm-hmm. Corporation. So those programs were kind of like they were separate from the maybe the housing stuff that mm-hmm. stayed more within Department of Development, which, mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that's um, sometimes maybe a little hard for people to understand that there sure. are like, you have Department of Development, but then you have the Jamestown Urban Renewal Agency, which mm-hmm. kind of administers the things that happen in DOD. And then there's the Jamestown Local Development Corporation, which I always right. I always call it the, the lending arm, yes. but it's but under because of the ARP funding, it's been doing more than just lending. They're also approving the grant funding as correct, well. Correct, correct, yep. So, with um, I mean, just if you can rattle off, I mean, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, what are the other p- programs? I mean, can you like lay out you know the different types of programs you've had just under the American Rescue Plan Act funds? Sure. So we've had actually a, a number of grants that have already come out. So we mentioned the roof and sewer lateral. So the ones that are really focused more on the businesses, the lots of acronyms here, BPII, the Building and Property Infrastructure Improvement Grant, uh, Information Technology Upgrades, Downtown Small Business Evolution, the Business Expansion and Building Acquisition, or BIBA, uh, Equipment Machine, Equipment and Machine Upgrades, uh, the new business development grant program, and then we are in the process of reviewing the nonprofit assistance program, which uh, tomorrow evening um, the JLDC will be having presentations uh, done for them. So I guess that's that would be Wednesday night at their regular meeting. Oh, so wow, that is a that's, lot. That's uh, that's it right now, <laughs> but there are more in the works, and. Yeah, and again, this this one that is open right now for the homeowners is we've already received a ton of interest and a ton of phone calls and emails and um, 
We've even received a number of applications back already. So, And with uh, information about people who are interested in learning more about the programs that have mm-hmm. already been expended, you can go to jamesoundny.gov yes. to find, because we do frequently here yes. at the station, we've used uh, the city's website you know, to reference a lot of this information, but it's also where you can get the application for this the yes, mini grant. correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep, it's right online uh, there. You can also pick them up uh, in the Department of Development, in the mayor's office, and in the clerk's office. Good to know. And with the Jamestown Renaissance Corporation right. as well. So it, it, other than a nonprofit um, program, that's kind of mm-hmm. saying, do you have any other monies that are left out that they're, that you're saying, okay, we still need to allocate this money and go forward with? Is there something else that I'm forgetting mm-hmm. about that maybe yes. is coming? So we, um, we have had uh, funds allocated for the workforce development programs. So we are actually in the process of working with, uh, and they changed their name, it was the Southern Tier Builders Association. It's now the Builders, it's BEST, again, oh, another exchange? acronym. Exchange, thank you, mm-hmm. I always forget that, that exchange. Uh, Builders Exchange of the Southern Tier. So that is our workforce development program. Uh, they've been working with the state on developing a curriculum that is specific to the construction trades. So again, still working with them through that process of getting that certified through the state, but uh, that has been approved to move forward. So that will be a really great opportunity for our our community when we're talking about getting into the trades and then that program being a pipeline for workforce development and, and getting those graduates of that program directly into the workforce. <clears throat> Additionally, we have uh, another allocated also for workforce development. So we're working with MAST and another, a number of other agencies in the community on developing what that plan will be and how we're going to allocate or propose allocating those funds. Uh, Additionally, we have uh, $250,000 allocated for uh, business incubator, and that's still in conversation. So uh, we've had some a number of different conversations with a number of different economic development partners in the community talking about is that should, is it better spent in programming in an actual space that would be for incubation, if you will. So you know those conversations are, are still in the works. Um, we've got some ideas, uh, nothing ready quite for prime time yet, but you know some of the ideas are pretty exciting. And really, it's about providing a network and really establishing an ecosystem for our local entrepreneurs and business owners to be able to just have those supports that are really needed. And that's, you know, could be networking opportunities, could be bringing in, you know, again, to the programming side, different presenters and experts that are, you know, experts in their different fields, right? So if it's it's retail kind of specific, if it's, you know, small restaurant kind of specific, manufacturing it doesn't really matter what the what the particular industry is it's just kind of being able to pull all of that together and and be able to really provide kind of a one-stop shop resource that our business owners know they can go to and they can have access to to the resources that they need i was kind of curious and obviously you say it's not ready for prime time about how much maybe even jcc was involved because thinking of mm-hmm. in north county that suny fredonia is involved with the their incubator that's mm-hmm. in dunkirk so i wasn't sure if there was a similar 
thought of trying to do something similar down here with our our colleges mm-hmm. we have in the South County. Absolutely, absolutely, and that that goes across the board as well as it, you know it really ties into the workforce development grant funding as well. Uh, so we've we've tried JCC is, is certainly a partner as well as uh, Jamestown Public School System. Um, so we're we're trying to make sure that we work with everybody that needs to be involved. Um, you know, there are a lot of different agencies, different agencies, different organizations that and institutions that are doing kind of a little bits here and there. And so really identifying who's doing what, who's doing what really well, and who should be doing what that thing is, and getting us all on the same page. And so, you know, that actually part of the process has been, I think, really great for all of our agencies. So thinking about, you know, new things that are in the works, not quite maybe come to coming to fruition, but are definitely like in the planning is that you have gone through the process of getting approved to do a a new comprehensive plan Mm -hmm. and a new zoning code update. And where where are things in that process right now? So we are actually uh, in the final stages of putting our request for proposals together, which will seek a team of consultants to start working on that um, comprehensive and zoning uh, code updates. So it's just finalizing the draft, working with Department of State to make sure that we've got everything included in it that they want to see in it, because most of the funding, well, the funding for the comprehensive plan is coming from New York State. And then the zoning code update portion of it, we are tying them together because they are so so connected. And you know, the comprehensive plan itself will help inform much of the zoning code update, but we really want to see them done congruently so that the consultant team that is selected is it's seamless and and that they're done together. And so that zoning code update actually is another allocation from American Rescue Plan funding that is allowing us to do that. So uh, again, RFP and hopefully we'll be ready to release that in, I would say in the next 30 days. Um, realistically, after everyone is weighed in, yeah. So what I guess you know, I, I, zoning code can mm-hmm. be relatively easy to understand. You're updating, you know, how different areas of the city mm-hmm. is zoned. But what what does a comprehensive plan do? Oh wow! So it really looks at um, kind of every facet of the city. So it will look at uh, land use. It will look at a number of different sectors and try to pull right as the name suggests put together a plan that is comprehensive, high level, of course, it's not a a prescription, um, but it's really a a guide for how do we envision the future of our city over the next, could be 20 years before another comprehensive plan is done. It could be longer. Hopefully not, but, you know, so really giving us that uh, framework for as we are moving forward with different types of industry with how we're approaching housing with how we're approaching our our neighborhood development with how we're approaching uh, the growth of our downtown and our commercial corridors streetscapes uh you know looking at walkability and all of those things that make communities um enhance quality of life and you know it could be sidewalk life, right? Like, what does it feel like in your neighborhood to walk down the sidewalk? How can we make that better? How should we be planning for that? And and what's the strategy to, to do that? So it's really, 
you know, a, a comprehensive guide book, if you will, for, you know, all of our successors to, to use and, and help direct the future development of the city. Mm-hmm. And I can see how that plays into the zoning code because mm-hmm. with, I mean, well, I, I know the zoning code has had various like kind of minor updates, but mm-hmm. generally hasn't been done a full overhaul since the 1960s, 70s. Mm-hmm. 69, and, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the, the comprehensive was. Okay. The comprehensive plan was last updated. 1998. So yeah, it's, it's been yeah, a while. It's been, been quite a while here. <laughs> and, uh, with the zoning code, uh-huh. the, sh- the how we see the city, how it's changed. I mean, I yeah. assume in 1969, so this is when you know we were in urban redevelopment, renewal, yeah, renewal. Urban renewal. I, 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 yes, I, I, yeah. I call it something totally different so often that I forget that it's called urban renewal. Yeah. So, um, with what happened in down in Brooklyn Square, but obviously yeah. in those you know, over 50 years now, mm-hmm. we city of Jamestown is not what it was and and what has happened even just like with technology and things like mm-hmm. that is vastly different so I can see how that changes and so does this include things like when you're talking about sidewalks mm-hmm. and you kind of brought to mind this does this include building setback like right mm-hmm. now if you're working walking on a sidewalk there's a difference between like I'm thinking about fourth street where mm-hmm. you have the um the townhouses, more or less, yes. where, you know, where they're like, they're kind of right by the sidewalk. But if you go down Prendergast or you go down Lakeview, which I or say very closely adjacent to the central business district, you know, so then you see more traditional where you have the yards and then the house. So is yep. that the kind of thing you're talking yes. about? Yep, absolutely. All of it. So um, there's something called form-based code, <clears throat> which is not really a new concept, but I, I guess it's probably a newer concept in the industry of planning. And, and that looks at all of those things, right? When we look at the form of our different districts, we want to make sure that we're, we're keeping the context that either already exists, right? So we wouldn't want to build a new building in downtown that it could be very modern, but we want to look at scale. We want to look at, you know, how does it sit within the urban fabric, Right, so that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about form-based code, and then and then looking at all of those neighborhood rings. Right, the further we get out from the central business district, how do all of those you know currently look, and how do we want them to look? Right, there there is opportunity there to make some changes if things are not working the way we want them to. But again, we want to make sure that we are always looking at how do we want to interact with our environment and quality of life. And what is that human experience within all of that? So, with this, this is not a short-term process. This is something you mm-hmm. said will take like five Probably years. Probably about two years. Oh, two years. Okay, yeah. that's better than the yeah. five years. I think was yeah, mentioned at one it's, point. I, I think about two years is roughly from start, you know, release of the request for pro- proposals to adoption. Right. You know, this is something that that our city council will have to approve of and adopt, as well as planning commission, um, by the time we get to the final uh, end product. Does this include opportunities for community involvement? Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the really critical criteria that we have worked into our request for proposals is we really want to make sure that we've got someone in whatever consultant team that is proposed that is robust and experienced 
in community engagement facilitation. We get bogged down in the day-to-day of our jobs. And for us to be able to try to facilitate that in a way, especially with a, a project that is this consuming and this intense, we really want to make sure that we get it right. So uh, in, in that, we also want to take that opportunity to build citizen champions, right? So the more engaged people are, the more they're able to share their ideas, their opinions, their concerns, you know, what what inspires them, what scares them, you know. So we really are going to be looking for uh, a team that is able to provide kind of that piece to make sure that we do the, the community participation part of it right. <laughs> well, definitely. We'll look for more to come in the coming yeah. months. So, And when I was asking about the community involvement, I'm thinking mm-hmm. just in terms of how much we've heard from community at whether public meetings or, or public input meetings, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of discussion around housing. Mm-hmm. And housing has been a major topic and mm-hmm. sometimes boiling point mm-hmm. uh, for Department of Development just with everything that has happened yeah. with either funding coming in for housing or needs for housing and then things that got exacerbated by the pandemic mm-hmm. in regards to housing. So it's, it's hard not to, you know, I could see how your world could just be housing mm-hmm. when it comes to Department of Development because of everything going on. Yeah. And one of the things, and just since we'll start with the pandemic, one of the things that was greatly impacted was housing court, but in mm-hmm. but in hand in hand with that was there was the moratorium on evictions, which I imagine is still are you still seeing an, a lasting effect of that moratorium mm-hmm. now, even though I think it's been we we're over a year and I think a, maybe a year and a half mm-hmm. since that ended. Yeah, yeah, I you know it's hard. It's hard to quantify that, but I believe so. You know, we have seen a lot more transient population. We have seen a lot more homelessness. Um, We have seen uh, a lot more vacancies in, you know, rentals uh, that are not being filled, um, sometimes by choice of the property owner. And so, yeah, you know, it's hard to, like I said, it's hard to, quantify what that impact is, but I do believe we are still seeing it. And I I think that we're going to see it for a long time. And I don't know, you know, specifically, can you directly point to the housing moratorium as the root cause of some of the issues that we're seeing? I think it's a combination, you know, it's a perfect storm of things that that have occurred and created the situation that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, in terms of quality of housing, mm-hmm. you have housing code enforcement officers who are tasked with going out and responding to reports mm-hmm. of either homeowners who are delinquent or landowners having been delinquent. And where are you now? You have, Are you full staff? Or are you still looking for staff? Uh, so um, I'm happy to report that we have made some progress there. So we've we've been interviewing now for um, a little over a month, and we have two uh, individuals, one of which started yesterday, and uh, we are hoping that the second will be starting sometime this week. So we will be back to, I don't want to necessarily say it's it's full, you know, completely staffed, uh, because I think that we could use probably more code enforcement officers than what we are budgeted for currently. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, we will be up to four which is fantastic. And, 
I guess the caveat to that is uh, in New York State, some of the rules have changed. So uh, as of January of this year, code enforcement officers are not able to to really do code enforcement, <laughs> if you will, uh, until they get their certification, uh, which could take, we're seeing about nine months. So, you know, we're we're in the process of really looking at what those new rules and regulations are from the state and how we can best utilize uh, those new individuals coming in and still get some things done without violating the regulations, of course, and providing them with the training that they need and trying to get all of that done within the shortest period of time as we possibly can. So, yeah, with the training being about nine months, so you may have two potentially two new staff people starting this week, but that doesn't mean you really have four staff. You still only have two staff who have the qualifications by New York State to go out and do the citations and everything appear in court and things like that. So, and about what do you know, or or, uh, you've reported it out before, but if you don't know this number, Mm -hmm. I understand, but what is about the average number that each of these code enforcement officers carries for cases right now? Well, it has... uh drastically increased and and it does fluctuate with season i'll i'll say you know the snow melts and all of a sudden you can kind of see all of the sins of you know the last fall but uh roughly each of them has around 500 cases a piece five so just those two or would it be all four yes, just those two okay yeah and how and now that that kind of is the logical role to housing court mm-hmm so housing court's back in session. At one point, they were having about 10 cases a week, or was it every other week? Uh, it, it was per session, we'll say. Mm-hmm. So um, oftentimes, housing court occurs on Friday mornings at 9.30 a.m. Uh, that's our allocated time. And it was limited to 10 initially. It, we're up to 20. So we are allowed to bring 20 cases before the judge each week. It's not as simple as that sounds. So filling a docket is can be complicated um, because of adjournments and trying to make sure that we're, you know, how we're filling that docket, knowing there's an adjournment here, an adjournment there. This one is for two weeks. This one is for 30 days. So it's always, uh, you know, kind of a, a chess match, if you will, trying to make sure that we're maximizing that housing court schedule. It can be challenging. But, you know, in addition to that, housing court is challenging in and of itself. So, you know, getting people to show up for their appearances <laughs> is is difficult. And so we've been looking at different ways that we can try to make the most out of housing court. You know, currently, housing court is our last option. We've already tried voluntary compliance in every way we can, um, reaching out to property owners, tenants, property managers, um, you know, anyone that we can identify as a responsible party to get some kind of uh, compliance action. But if the property owner and or cited party doesn't want to show up for housing court, there's not much that we can do uh, to force them to do that. So, you know, they don't show up, 
automatically that's an adjournment. And depending on what it is, it could be, and depending on the court schedule, it could be two weeks, it could be 30 days, it could be 45 days sometimes. So, you know, court is a last resort for a reason. And, you know, it's it can be a lengthy process. So we're looking at some other ways that we, we might be able to, I think, sort of lift some of the burden of court uh, because it's also a very in-depth process. There's a lot of paperwork that is involved. There's a lot of, you know, chasing things around. Process serving comes into play. We've got to make sure that the parties that need to be served an appearance ticket are served in in the right ways. Um, and so sometimes that means hiring a process server to do that for us. So there's a lot of, of chasing things around. So, and, and I don't want to jump ahead, but I think ordinances is next on your list anyway. So uh, we're looking at a, a number of different ordinances, um, but specific to helping alleviate some of that burden uh, in the court process, we're looking at implementing a direct ticketing um, system. So our code enforcement officers will be given the ability to ticket directly for high grass, junk and debris, and unregistered vehicles. Those are things that, right, you either have high grass or you don't. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You either have junk and debris in your yard or you don't. You either have unregistered vehicles in your yard or driveway or you don't. So it's it's something that um, similar to what the the nuisance officer has been able to do with ticketing people directly for noise and uh, the other various violations. Uh, this will give uh, our code enforcement officers a, a little bit more teeth to what they do, and they will be able to issue the ticket, and it will be up to the individual that is is issued the ticket to show up to court to fight that charge, right? So we're going right to, you have a violation, you you violated the law, and you know, just as a reminder, it is criminal charges, not, not civil, so you violated the law, here's your ticket, if you wanna fight it, you have to show up for court to fight it, otherwise, here's your fine. Um, so I guess when you're saying ticketing, so what is happening now that this would be a change? Right, right now, um, the way the system is set up, our code enforcement officers are only able to issue notices of violation. Then they are, in that attempt to get to voluntary compliance, giving uh, the property owners or the cited individuals a period of time to comply. And then, you know, once they've gone beyond that period of time, that is when they get an appearance ticket to come to court. And that's when the back and forth kind of starts, right? It's, it's well, do they show up? They just got an appearance ticket. It's not, I'm not getting a fine, right? It's not, what are you going to do if I don't show up? kind of mentality, right? So with this system, you've already got the fine. There's no argument. There's no, if you want to fight the fine, come to court and plead your case and then let the judge decide. So with under state law, does there is there anything else that allows you to expand that kind of thing beyond just the ticketing for the debris, mm-hmm. the ticketing for the unregistered vehicle? Not that we have been able to ascertain at this point. It's, obviously, it's something that we are are vetting through our corporation council to make sure that as we implement this, we're doing it all according to uh, state law. 
because other issues are are so specific to building code, we want to make sure that we're not getting into a gray area. So, you know, those building code and those the building code stuff tends to be a bit more health, life and safety type stuff anyway. So that's really where, you know, if we're talking about electrical, if we're talking about, um, you know, building structure and, and you know, the, the whether, whether or not it's structurally sound, right? Are there foundation issues? Peeling paint, you know, that's kind of one of those those things that's sort of in between. But, you know, broken windows, things that are really posing a threat to, to the occupant's well-being and, and health and safety, those are the things that um, we would not want to go into that direct ticketing system to, to address. So I, I'm kind of seeing it as, as an aesthetic versus health and safety. Kind of, yeah. 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 And, you know, the the direct ticketing part of it, you know, yes, it is, it is kind of the aesthetic. It's also probably the easiest things to comply with, right? Register your vehicles. Park them in the driveway. Don't park them in your front yard. Uh, cut your grass, right? Be a good neighbor. Don't leave your garbage piled up next to your house or on your porch. Get rid of that mattress, right? So we're really hoping that with this direct ticketing system and the immediate fine that people will pay more attention. People will, you know, that'll kind of hit them a little bit different. And sure, they may still show up to court to, you know, plead their case and they may still have that, that, fine waived i don't know but they're not going to want to have to continue to come back to court to to do that so hopefully they'll just cut their grass right and if it's a matter of they need help because they can't afford a lawnmower that's another conversation that as we're we're working through this process maybe that's something that we can assist them with or we can point them in a direction of a resource that can when do you see that this this part of that program is going to be rolled out for the direct ticketing? So um, it actually, and beginning in July at the first work session, we plan to start presenting on all of these ordinances to the council just to kind of bring them up to speed on where we're at, give them an opportunity to ask questions, um, an opportunity to really weigh in on how the, the drafts are written, you know, do they have suggestions on how to change things or, or different perspectives? Um, really just start to make them uh, available and those conversations to be had so that by the time we're ready to have ask council to vote and adopt them, they will feel comfortable and they will be ready to do so. Mm-hmm. With the ordinances, there are three, right? Am I right that there are three or are there are two? Uh, no, so there's there's some additional ones. So those mm. three that we just talked about, those that's kind of the direct ticketing. Those will be, I believe, the way they'll be set up in the code, three separate. And then when we talk about other ordinances that we've actually been talking about for quite a while, we are also introducing the rental inspection ordinance, the vacant property ordinance, and the nuisance ordinance, which will, will be just sort of an adapt adaptation of the existing nuisance ordinance that we have. And I know that you've talked about the Met Council, you've, I, you've been mm-hmm. meeting with local groups about mm-hmm. developing these ordinances, but can you give us a little overview of, of the three that you're going to, uh, now that we've talked about the direct sure. ticketing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the rental inspection ordinance is is going to address a number of different things. And so we're looking at a few different ways that that will take effect 
because as you can imagine, 54% of our housing stock in the city of Jamestown is now rental. So, and we really need, we have so many of them that are already vacant, so many of them that are just kind of, you know, we're not quite sure what property owners are, what their plans are to do with them. And then so many of them that are condemned. I mean, we've seen more condemnations in the past two years than, you know, I haven't run the math, but it's it's a lot. So getting into those units and, and getting those thorough inspections done is something that's really important to ensuring that people have access to, to quality housing. So this rental inspection ordinance will assist us with doing that in a way that is, you know, we don't want it to be punitive to a landlord. We don't want to discourage landlords from owning property and doing business in the city. We do want them to be responsible. We do want them to care for the tenants that they are housing. We tend to see that local landlords, more often than the out-of-town, out-of-state corporate landlords, do care more and do take care of things um, faster and are more responsive. So we feel like, you know, that will be a good opportunity. Like we're drawing the line in the sand, you know. So additionally with that, you know, I think it's important to point out that 90, I don't want to say it wrong, but it's somewhere between 93 and 97% of the housing stock in Jamestown is pre-1978, which means more than likely uh, has lead paint. Right, so there are some properties that have been remediated, but we've seen a, a rise. So uh, Jamestown is the seventh highest community in New York State for lead poisoning in children, and so this is we are tying lead inspection into this uh, rental inspection. But I'm going to say, right, there's a little bit of a, a stick here, but. There's a lot of carrots that we're also going to provide through this. So making sure that as we roll out this ordinance, we're also rolling out and connecting the landlords with the programs that they need to be able to help remediate these issues. So, you know, that's kind of the rental inspection in a nutshell. Certainly much more complex than that. We have to look at how we will build the capacity that we need, which we're already looking into different ways to do that uh, in order to get through the rental inspections that we need to do to get everybody to a place that they need to be. The other thing I'll, I'll just add real quick is uh, we our intention is to get to a place where landlords can self-inspect and self-certify. Once we've gone through and we've done that initial inspection, which will take probably about three years, we figured, to get all of them inspected, um, we want to be able to Again, not be punitive, right? There's a reward system. If you can are consistent and you are, you know, keeping up with your properties and you are maintaining them according to to codes and, and standards and making sure that you're providing quality, healthy housing for your residents, we have no problems, right? So if you're doing it right already, you're not gonna have a problem. If you are consistently having code violations and consistently not making the repairs that you need, then we might have more of a problem. But we intend for uh, the fees that go with the inspections to be able to be reduced over time. So again, if you're consistent and you're, you're taking care of your properties, you're not going to be penalized. It will start to, to reduce those fees. So moving on to the vacant property ordinance, 
that one actually is, again, we see more and more vacant properties, which are a uh, an attractive nuisance. They demand a lot of resources of the city, um, whether it's the police department responding to people that are breaking in, the fire department having to board up the property at our request, you know, DOD getting called out by the police department to, you know, do inspections, you know, sometimes four times in one day, you know, and re-securing the properties. So vacant properties are, are a huge issue and they are a blight on our community. You know, no one wants to live next to an empty house and certainly not an empty house that is just left to rot. It's an eyesore. It takes an emotional toll on the neighborhood. Obviously, they decrease property values. You know, I could go on and on about the blight that they cause and the issues that they cause in our communities. So, and and it doesn't stop with just houses, right, and residential, vacant commercial buildings. Um, too often we see someone who has a couple thousand dollars and a dream, a monster vacant industrial building that has gone up for auction or is just being sold super cheap and they decide they're going to pick it up and they're going to do something with it. And then they find out what it takes to really do something with it, right? So rather than continuing to reward those property owners that just let their properties sit empty and their value decrease and decline, which means their taxes decline, right? They're paying less to sit on this property that is only causing problems for the community and continues to detract from the value of the community. We should not be rewarding that with reducing their taxes. So we're going to raise them. So this ordinance will propose that if you have a vacant property, there will be a period of time that you will be required to make attempts to get that property inhabited in whether it's a house or it's a a commercial building, um, the reward comes when you are a responsible property owner, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again, the nuisance ordinance is really just tightening up some of the language, um, making sure that it is a little bit more comprehensive. And we're looking at it kind of through the lens of working in partnership with the police department and the fire department. That is a lot. And <laughs> I looked at the time and I realized I need to let you go. Oh, so yes, I appreciate sorry. No, no. <laughs> I appreciate you coming in to talk about this. Obviously, there's so much to go over that it takes yeah. more than an hour for us to discuss. And fortunately, we know based on that we'll hear more in the month of July at city yes. council meetings. So, yes. so folks, if you're listening, you want to hear more about these ordinances or anything else that's going on. Uh, city council meetings happen on Monday nights in July and, and throughout the year. So uh, Crystal Zerdick, thank you so much for thank coming you. in today. Thank you.